You are now unmuted. Silence, mountainous silence, right? It's a bit like sitting in a hypersensitive cathedral. Portable silence. If the sound of a needle has an echo. A little room with light on the ceiling, just breathing and enjoying the morning. Stille als eine delicate sound. Hörbare Empfindung. You are now muted. Welcome to the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations podcast. In this series, we showcase research projects across the arts and humanities, drawing on expertise from the University of Oxford and Berlin University of the Arts to integrate scientific methodologies and artistic expression. This week, we will be exploring silence, what it is and what it means to us personally and professionally. So Alberto de Panpo is Professor for Generative Arts, Computational Art at the Institute for Time-Based Media um, at the University of the Arts at Berlin. One possible answer to that would be this idea of a polyphony of silences. If you look at bioacoustics and the acoustic niche idea that Bernie Krause has been working on, I think since the 1970s, and has written this well-known article on in the 1990s, uh, it's about species living in the same area, collaborating by leaving space for each other in the frequency spectrum and in time in rhythm space. So a lot of communication channels are possible in the same physical space acoustically. If you look at the inversion of that, it means that everybody leaves a lot of silence around their little voice for everything else to happen. And that would be a way to learn to listen for silences. Since we started talking about this collaboration, I'm beginning to notice silences everywhere, including in many of my own works. I think maybe the most interesting aspect for me about silences is their social nature, that they are always full of negotiation. And one prominent example of silences in a work would be an installation piece I made together with the then newly forming class for generative art 10 years ago that was called Variatio Systematica Profundorum. Um, it's a piece about hypothetical deep-sea creatures that would send little messages to each other telepathically. So they would be silent most of the time, and when a creature has collected enough messages it likes, it would combine those into a long message and express that message by sound, movement and light patterns. So most of the time all the creatures would be quietly listening, Every now and then one of them would do something, but sometimes combinations of messages would happen that a lot of creatures liked, and then they would go into a very active mode together. Uh, for a minute or two it would be real pandemonium, and then they would calm down again and it would go back to hearing maybe one creature at a time far off in the distance, but the creatures you were close to that you would see would always be kind of still intently listening and waiting for something to happen. That's maybe the strongest case of social silences that we did not put into that piece intentionally, but they came out of the social construction of how we designed the creature's interaction behavior. 
So Kirsten Reese is a composer. She's working with site-specific compositions and electronic music. And she's also a music teacher and a musicologist. If you are in a, um, in a social space, um, sharing silence, so this would be one of the other terms that one could could coin shared silence and the concert space is a good example of that the silence before performance begins for example where everyone is expecting something it's also gives you a moment to recollect yourself and your thoughts and your preparation to what's going to happen and this also is a kind of reflective moment but for a, in a social setting which i find very interesting actually <laughs> I did an installation in uh, concert spaces, just portraying the empty spaces. And that was sort of what it was about, this expectation of, and the possibility, actually, the potential of a silent space to be something else and to do, be transformed and to be a new beginning. And to be a new beginning also in the set sense that you reflect on, you know, what has happened here and what can happen here. I'm just remembering this one situation where I was in Austria in, in, for Silvester and there was some fireworks and you could hear one explosion go through the whole valley of mountains, one after the other becoming, you know, just the reflections of it becoming softer. And I mean, it was amazing how much space you could hear. And it's something that you can't record and it's also only possible because because it's it was so quiet the basic setting was a snowy silence mountainous silence right Sile Gore is a visual artist and poet whose work has been revolving around silence for the last few years. She's also a member of the Oxford Silence Hub and has been a very active contributor there. Silence has a different quality in different cities. The cloistered silences in Oxford have been preserved behind the stone facades of college chapels or in the oak interiors of libraries and walled city gardens. And in Berlin, the wild silences of places abandoned or destroyed in wars or division are housed in more fragile structures. They're made from crumbling plaster, framed by elderflower bushes, by weeds. You start making art about what you cannot have, and I became more interested in silence as I watched it being eroded away. I suppose poetry can be a portable silence because if you've got a poem in your head that you've memorized and you start reciting it to yourself, then it's a way of establishing an alternate space even as you stay in place. You can remain present where you are and create an alternate world to slip into. 
so that can be a very beautiful way of sidestepping chaos and cacophony. Ariana Yeselat is a professor of music theory at Berlin's University of the Arts. She's also the first vice president of the university. Alongside her academic work, she has performed regularly in Die Mauerwerke, an ensemble for contemporary and experimental music. When I was working at Humboldt University, I had the working space, which was the former room of Hegel, this is really true, and this was the garden house, and this house was a room which was very, very silent, and it was small, and I spent lots of time there to listen uh, the distances between the walls. So every weekend I went there, and I was playing the piano and then in the breaks I went from wall to wall just to hear how the sound of the room would change if I came close to the walls with my ears and sometimes I, I thought that I could hear some a really high, high note uh, when I came close to the wall and so I think I, I had a good time in this very small and very silent room just to experience the, the distances and all the things I would see otherwise. I tried to explore with my ears. If the sound of a needle has an echo, then the room is really, really, really silent. There's a novel by Douglas Adams called The Long Dark uh, Tea Time of Soul, and in the end, someone is looking for the gods of Valhalla, and I think he starts to search for them in the King's Cross station in London, and he is falling with his ears a kind of white noise, and in the corner of the big entrance hall, there's the white noise, and then behind the white noise, there are the gods of Valhalla. When I played a piece by uh, Franco Evangelisti, which is called Spazio a Cinque, we all had to breathe uh, about the edges of old audio cassettes or CDs or something like that. And those breathing of, on the edge of uh, plastic, uh, that, that makes silence really, really clear because it fills the room slowly. So kind of white noise which is coming to your ears or from, from the walls and so it's just just the opposite of the falling needle. So Kate McLaughlin is a professor for English literature at the University of Oxford and um, she's also working on a literary history exactly what it is. I want to know what we are talking about when we talk about silence. And I realise that's paradoxical to be talking about something which is 
is silent, which involves there being no words. Um, and I want to know what, what we think is happening when there is silence. Um, it's very hard to pin all this down because, as I say, it's hard to define silence other than negatively. Um, but I'm interested as a literary scholar in how silence communicates. Um, so I'm interested in how writers use it to say things and how we can pick those messages up. Um, so it's almost reading silence as a kind of rhetorical device. I think it has a very powerful communicative property, silence. And so I, I want to know how to interpret it. I want to get better at interpreting it. If that's possible, it might not be. So I have a sort of generic positive memory of silence, which is um, uh, when I was in my 20s, I lived in London by the river in Putney and I lived in a I rented a little room and I used to wake up and I, you could see the light on the ceiling and the sort of river bobbing. And I used to um, just enjoy those moments before when I'd woken up, but I hadn't got up and I would just sort of enjoy my own breathing, which was not entirely silent, but was very quiet. And those were moments of great sort of calmness um, and just being it was sort of mindfulness before I'd ever heard of mindfulness. Um, negative emotions, negative memories of silence, I think would be the awkward silences. So I hate silences when people are angry. I, as the teacher, I'm very bad at silences when students don't answer questions. And I always, almost always for sort of humanitarian reasons, step in and answer the questions for them. And I'm, I shouldn't do that. I'm very bad at letting silences be. Fritz Schluter is at the University of Arts, Berlin. His work on sound and silence includes the artistic research and research project Sensing the Street in Berlin. He has written on the ethnography of the senses and on sound culture. In the 1950s, what audio engineers were noticing, uh, increasingly noticing, was that there was a certain level of background noise in the recordings which actually wasn't uh, hiss or crackle, but uh, it actually dated back to the acoustic properties of the place where the recording has been taken. And so this kind of new sensitivity, which uh, was, of course, among the, the major advantages of magnetic tape, it also caused new problems, such as that uh, when you were going on to edit and cut these recordings, then there were noticeable gaps or bumps in the background noise. I mean, best practice would be to replace these gaps uh, with the very same uh, background noise uh, in order to, uh, to gloss over it a bit, you could say. And uh, this is when uh, sound recorders started to to make um, room tone recordings or silence recordings, if you will, um, what we now know as ambience, atmos or room tone, in order to create this kind of filler material. So I'm basically looking at a period between 1950s and 1970s where these 
delicate sound became first available and uh, increasingly manageable in sound editing. So there's no sound editing without silence editing or no sound design without silence design. Thorsten Weigelt ist der Leiter des Studiengangs Tonmeister an der UdK Berlin. Ich denke, diese Erforschung von Stille ist sehr anwendungsbezogen. Das hat damit zu tun, Stille erstmal wahrzunehmen als eine solche, wo auch immer sie auftritt, sei es im technischen Kontext, sei es in einem Raum, sei es in der Musik. Und das ist häufig verbunden mit der unbedingten Aufgabe, diese Stille aufzunehmen und damit für ein Medium zu speichern und für eine Benutzung innerhalb eines Mediums dann zugänglich zu machen. Also wenn ich erstmal an Stille in Räumen denke, dann ist das ja auch schon öfter angesprochen. Es gibt einen sogenannten Room Tone, der kann aber sehr unterschiedlich sein. Und das ist zunächst einmal, auch wenn es widersprüchlich erscheinen mag, das Interesse an Stille als eine hörbare Empfindung. Ja, also dass da ein... Klang ist, der hörbar ist, der aber irgendwie Stille ausdrückt oder Stille darstellt. In einem Raum ist die Gestalt des Raumes zunächst einmal hauptsächlich dadurch hörbar, dass bestimmte äh, Geräusche oder Klänge in dem Raum erzeugt werden, sodass zum Beispiel der Nachhall hörbar ist, damit man die Proportionen des Raumes und die Beschaffenheit des Raumes wahrnehmen kann und innerhalb dessen dann die Stille. In einem reflexionsarmen Raum ist das ganz anders. Da ist die Stille ja quasi eine tote Stille, bis auf die eigenen körperlichen Geräusche, die wir selber produzieren. You are now muted. Many thanks for listening to our work. We hope you found it stimulating and that you will subscribe for more thought-provoking work from artists and researchers working in Oxford and Berlin. We're currently in the process of collecting silences. Soon we'll be putting out a call describing ways in which listeners can contribute and keep in touch with our work. You are currently the only person...